0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Ghosts of Northern Michigan's Past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble. As I've traveled over the years, I've always made a point to try to visit as many locations that have a past history of paranormal activity. And uh, you should be careful what you wish for because I've had more than my fair share of uh, odd occurrences, uh, trust me. Churches, hospitals, castles, Chernobyl stands out, are always among the usual list of candidates to explore. Fortunately for me, I've always Usually, been able to be smart enough to propose a nice romantic visit to the nearest lighthouse for my wife and I, uh, knowing full and well I'm actually there hoping to hear a great ghost story from the caretaker. With us today is someone who knows way more about Michigan's lighthouses and their ubiquitous lore than I, author of Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses, Diana Stanfler. Welcome, Ms. Stanfler.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: I like that formal introduction.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like uh, I've aged. 20 years just sitting here next to you. Thank you so much for that.
0: I look at you with authority.
1: So. <laughs> uh, Diana, what, what,
0: what inspired you to write the book? And um, the next question would be after that is, do you believe?
1: Well, I've been researching Michigan's lighthouses since the late 90s. And I was at the time working for West Michigan Tourist Association and kind of archiving the lighthouses. And I started hearing these ghost stories very early on. I took them kind of casually at first. But my daughter, who um, is, I think, gosh, going to be twenty nine this year. I have to do the math. She had her first ghost encounter at the age of four, so I was aware of paranormal activity. I was open to such encounters because of her. You know, I wanted to support her and in, in her what she was experiencing. And so, the more I dug into the history of these lighthouses and heard more and more confirmation of these ghost stories, the more I did believe. And in writing this book, you know, I was able to seek out other people who had similar experiences, yourself included, mm-hmm. and really be able to to tell stories, not just regurgitating something that a, a newspaper had written or someone else had put in another book, but going to the source of people that I trusted to say You've heard these stories. Tell me your experience. And so I think that that over time, as I was working on this book, which was published in 2019 from the History Press, it really helped to reinforce to me the validity of these stories. Now, you're going to have people that say ghosts don't exist and this is all a bunch of hogwash and whatnot. But explain to me why paranormal tourism is the fastest growing sector of tourism in the world Mm -hmm. right now. You know, look how many shows are on the Travel Channel, the History Channel, uh, all of these other shows that are out there. People are traveling. You mentioned several places that you've been where are under the umbrella of dark tourism. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting here planning a trip to go to Salem, Massachusetts this summer to go to where the witch trials were. So there is and we're not alone. There's a huge demographic. From teenagers on up to uh, mature boomers who believe in this and who follow this sector. So to me, it became a no brainer to look at Michigan lighthouses, which we have more than any other state, and dig into these ghost stories and be able to share them with people.
0: And that's kind of the thing for me, too, is, is uh, you see that it's uh, so many people out there either have had experiences themselves or they know somebody that has and that they trust. And these themes, I don't believe in incidents necessarily, but when I collect a, 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 a group of stories together from people that have no idea what other people have experienced at these locations and you see these themes that's that's what really sort of uh, kind of um, validated it for me too
1: yeah and even some of the research you know when I was doing this of course I reached out to you because you and I had the conversation before about a Shishwa and we can dig into that in a little bit but I had three other people that I knew paranormal investigative teams who had similar experiences but I also went on uh, I found that uh, TripAdvisor provides a lot of great resources so I went to the lighthouses because many of them were open to the public and I scrolled through the comments and one woman I found who visited uh, um, White River Light Station in Whitehall, she had no idea it was haunted. She was just there to visit, and she said she knew the minute she walked in the door something had happened there, And Mm -hmm. and she was afraid of it and ended up going back to her car. So I ended up reaching out to her because I wanted, you know, not everybody welcomes this experience or this gift
0: especially um, the people that that are more sensitive to it a, a lot of times that right. really experience it
1: right because you know and I and I kind of feel for some of those folks because you can't go anywhere historic because you got to think you're gonna get bombarded all the time by the spirits that are there because they they know they know the people that they can reach out to that will will um, welcome their stories or sometimes not welcome them so it really was um, A really big dive in Uh, but if people are thinking well it's a book about haunted things so I'm not interested the book is really only about 35% ghost story yeah the rest of its history I mean the historic nature of these lights the reason that they were built the earliest in the 1820s the dedication that these keepers gave um, the years of commitment some of them over 40 years I mean no wonder they still haunt the place right i mean certainly you're not going to stay in a job for 44 years if you don't love it mm-hmm. and you have people like bill robinson and whitehall who died there he he was never going to leave his light and still hasn't yeah, you know his spirit's still there
0: places. there's several yeah uh, that being said um i think we're all ready to hear maybe a couple of your your tales that your book <laughs> chronicles um what, what, what's your favorite story in the book
1: oh my goodness um I'm going to start with yours just because oh, okay. it's a common one. And I am so jealous <laughs> that I have not had a spirited encounter with Captain Townsend at Shishwa Point Lighthouse in Gulliver. And this is actually one of the earliest ghost stories that I ever heard and probably one of the most haunted lights in Michigan. Um, yeah. It's it's in Gulliver, uh, U- south of US2 in the Upper Peninsula on the northern part of Lake Michigan. And I remember the first time I visited there... Um, Gosh, probably 20 years ago now, we're close to that. My mom and I went up, and I was giving a presentation in nearby Escanaba, and so we were visiting some of the lights. And I remember going through the lighthouse, and back then, you know, you didn't have cell phones with cameras; you actually shot film, right, or digital. And we actually um, ran into a guy there who had gotten some really bizarre photos, and he went back. Uh, He had gotten them the day before, and he had come back the day we were there, and he had printed them off. He must have gone to, like, I don't know, the pharmacy or Walgreens or something to print them off. And he had all of these bizarre photos that we couldn't explain. Well, that's just one of the things. They have binders of stories about ghost encounters here because Captain Joseph Willie Townsend, who served from 1900 to 1910, died of lung cancer at the light. Yep. He was embalmed in the basement. In the (laughs) basement. And he died in April. Now, April in the UP is not like this year's April because it's a pretty calm winter. But you can imagine in 1910, before the Mackinac Bridge, his family was from New York. It took a big effort for his family to come up to have the funeral, pay the respects and whatnot. So after he's embalmed, he lay in state for three weeks in the parlor for his family to get there. They pay their respects, but it's still April because I think he died in early April. You can't really dig a grave in frozen ground in the UP. Nope. So guess where they put him? Back in the basement. Back in the basement. Now, can you imagine this poor guy trying to cross over, and he just keeps getting relinquished to the basement? No wonder (laughs) he's angry and still hanging around. So he's been seen. He moves silverware in the kitchen. His face has been seen in mirrors in the upstairs bedroom. He moves rocking chairs but the most interesting thing that he does, and I know you've had this experience, and this is what I am jealous about, he was a cigar smoker. Yeah. And his this was actually his third wife by the time he got to this light. Wife never let him smoke in the house. But there are hundreds of accounts of people who have gone through the light and caught that whiff of cigar smoke. Now, I'm a cigar smoker. So, you know, to me, that would just be the epitome of the perfect ghost encounter. But I haven't had that. You have
0: well, yeah. So when, when Michaela, my daughter, and I, we we uh, we, we started exploring lighthouses uh, when she was maybe twelve or thirteen. It was a cool bonding experience, and uh, and we made our way to Chichois. How do you say, How do you pronounce it? Chichois. There we go. Close pretty enough. close. I'm not French. So. Neither am I. <laughs> and uh, when we first got there, the lady in the in the uh, the gift store she refused to come into the house to escort us through the through the building. So she got another caretaker to t- take us through the you know a, another dose to take us through the building, and. Um, as usual for me when i'm leaving a historic spot or a special special place that i visited uh, and hemingway used to do this all the time too he would wait for everybody else to leave and he'd like to take one more look around and really seal that seal that moment in his memory so you can i can rec- i can recall what that look looked like upstairs even the first time i visited and uh, so Michaela was downstairs and i decided to take one more trip upstairs i came around the corner and i really wasn't i wasn't up there to try to have a ghostly experience. I'd been in the building a couple times now. At this time, I think this was our second or third visit. By the time this experience happened, and uh, I go upstairs by myself, and I'm going that, into that far, far bedroom—not not Willie's uh, bedroom necessarily. So as I'm coming back around, and this is what strikes me is I didn't get cigar smoke. I got a, a fresh cigar passed under my nose. I mean, it was as clear as if I was standing in Ernesto's today, and they were having me sample two or three different cigars.
1: Yeah, just um, the smell of the wrapper, the 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 fresh smell of that fret
0: not stale smoke not old wow. cigar smoke but I mean and it literally it caught me completely off guard so I was not expecting it at that moment and right now I've, every I don't have any hair <laughs> on my head but every one of my arms <laughs> is standing up right now um, and it, it really it really hit me because again I wasn't searching it out at that moment mm-hmm. but yet you know they, they, they tend to make themselves known when they want and um, and, and people have seen him walking around on, on the grounds too. you mm-hmm. talked about not being able to smoke in the house at different times but people have seen this 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 weathered lightman, lighthouse keeper, you know, walking around in his uniform, smoking outside and, and, they'll, and they'll come in and you know, Who's the who's the guy in retro costume out there? Well, no, no Nobody. No, nobody.
1: And it's funny because there I mean there are so many other stories that come out of there, but sometimes people will leave a cigar somewhere in the light inside the the house part. They'll maybe set it on even though they're not supposed to, yep. but they'll set it on a piece of furniture and almost inevitably it always ends up in the keeper the uniform pocket. of townsend's uniform there now a couple interesting tidbits we went up there two years ago and we took the tour we couldn't go through the light because it was off season Um, but we went and and he is buried at a cemetery in nearby manistique and one of the things that was really important to me in this book and as i was doing the research was to go whenever possible and visit the graves of these keepers that i was telling the stories for. One, to, to kind of pay my respects, but also to thank them for their service and for, you know, giving me the opportunity to share their stories. So this particular day, it was October, we were actually up there um, for a conference, I believe. And so we went to visit Townsend's grave in Manistique, And we stood there and smoked cigars at his (laughs) grave site. And the first time I had been, um, I actually left a cigar on his grave for him. Um, He has not made his presence known to me, but certainly many other folks, uh, some of my UP paranormal groups have been there. In fact, the UP uh, paranormal research team was just there again this past week. And uh, they've been doing some investigative work there. Uh, another interesting tidbit that I learned, this was what's great about the book. I've told the stories for years about these keepers, but in doing the research, I dug deeper and deeper.
0: That's what I like about your book.
1: Townsend actually was an assistant keeper at Waukeshauns, which mm-hmm. is also in the book, mm-hmm. Haunted by the Ghost of John Herman. Now, John Herman was said to have, on October 14th of 1900, in a drunken state, locked his assistant keeper in the Tower of the Lantern, and that was the last anybody saw of him. There were two assistant keepers at that time, and one of them was Joseph Townsend. So, there's a 50-50 chance that he was the guy locked in the tower, right? Ouch. So, I've been telling uh, uh, Herman's story for 20 years. doing the research, and my dad, who's a genealogist, was helping me out with some stuff because he was digging through ancestry and, and census data and things like that. He came back to me and he said the theory had always been that John Herman, after he locked the assistant in the tower, fell over the edge and drowned because they never found him. Turns out he died of a heart attack on Mackinac Island that same day. Now, if the story about the locking in the tower is true and it occurred on the evening of October 14th, maybe the reason they never found the body is because it wasn't a physical human body at that point. John Herman died at 1:30 in the afternoon. perhaps it was his spirit that locked that assistant in the tower.
0: That's why we call it paranormal right things we just don't can't don't explain it can right? explain.
1: I mean that was just one of the I think that's one of the, the stranger stories that came out of that whole thing.
0: You know that whole that whole region over by uh, Sechawa. That, that there's there's so much crazy history that goes on over there. But there's also a lot of different paranormal things that have happened in the uh, in the um, the neighborhood, if you call it that, a neighborhood back in those days. But it was a concentration of cabins coming back. And as you go into that into that peninsula, um, they found buried coffins. Uh, they found coffin plates without coffins. I mean, there's. There's some strange, strange things going on in that ten square miles back there, and it's pretty rustic as you're going back in. There. A lot of the history we'll come back to too. I have another podcast too called uh, "Tales of Northern Michigan's Past," and it's 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 more historically based and not so much of the paranormal, but. Uh, there's there's endless niches to to uh, to investigate here in northern Michigan.
1: I could see I'm going to need to come back to that podcast. Too, well, I think you will. You and I have uh, it's no secret uh, between us. But when we when we get together, the, the stories just flow.
0: Yeah, we came up with and, a, come up about fifteen new themes. Within yeah, five
1: we create more work for each other. I'm there sure that that is the case. <laughs>
0: And, you know, w- without a doubt, it seems that encounters with the paranormal are just as prevalent and consistent in lighthouses as any of the other likely candidates, you know, that I that I've visited over the years. And I don't know if it's often the remote locations or the monotonous yet critically essential service that the keepers provided. And like we were just talking about, you know, the, the extreme ex- a responsibility they had to try to ensure the safe transit for ships and their crew and often during vicious and treacherous conditions uh, that contributes to this phenomena but um, that job that they had and uh, every three to four hours and there's no days off there's there's uh, this is something you do you're not sick there's no sick days
1: no well it's a family business at that point too because yeah. you know when the keeper falls ill the wife and or children or brothers or parents have to step up because if if that keeper can't do the job They not only lose the job, they lose the salary, then they lose their house and the whole family is uprooted. So it really became a family business. And, you know, you I think that contributes to that. Um, But I think it is a lot of this, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you're a lighthouse keeper, you're typically doing that job if you're there for a long period of time because you have a love of it you feel a calling, you feel compelled to protect others. It's it's kind of like when people go into a medical field or a law enforcement field. I mean, you're in that because you have a deep desire and an inner calling to help and serve. And so I think in many cases, you know, going back to Bill Robinson in Whitehall, he he commissioned the building of that light. He was appointed the first keeper of that light. He served 44 years and they gave him a deadline of which he had to vacate because he was forced into retirement. He was in his eighties. His grandson was then the keeper, and the night before he had to move out, he died there. Man, he never intended to leave because no. that was, you know, outside. And his wife had passed away many years prior. Um, you know, the love of his family, but that was that was his mistress. That was the love of his life. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that in, so- in um, South Haven with uh, James Donahue, Civil War soldier, lost his leg in battle, still tended a light for 35 years on a peg leg. Oh, peg and that one is interesting because the house sat on a bluff overlooking the Black River. He had to go down the side of the bluff, down the river, and down the catwalk to take care of that light. But for 35 years on a peg leg or crutches, he did it. Sometimes, and we have accounts of him crawling on his hands and knees, carrying a lantern in his teeth, of the nights he spent sleeping in the tower to protect the shoreline by keeping the tower lit. I think those are the reasons that these keepers stay there after they have passed from this life.
0: That's way beyond commitment. That's, uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's a lifelong attachment. Well, beyond lifelong attachment. Yes,
1: and, I, and if you see that... You know, if I if I take the 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 map in my head from the book, and you have that experience in South Haven, you have it at White River Light Station, uh, South Manitou Island, the Sheridans they that haunt that lighthouse there. They died. Uh, they died in a shipwreck, and their bodies were never recovered. You have that in several of the other lighthouses. Of course, Whitefish Point is haunted, and. You think not. I mean, there's probably a dozen different spirits that have been documented there, not just of keepers, but of Native Americans who lived in the area and of um, mariners who died in shipwrecks. Of course, the Edmund Fitzgerald sank there in 75, but that that's just the most noted shipwreck in the Great Lakes. But it was one of hundreds in that shipwreck alley around that area. You know, the graveyard
0: coast. Yeah.
1: S.S. Myron went down just down the coast near Point Iroquois. 16, 17 men died in that. Um, And so, you know, the spirits that are that are there from from that experience. So. You have the tragic deaths. You have the dedication of the long-serving keepers who have passed. And then you have questionable things like uh, over at uh, the Saginaw River Rear Range Light where uh, Julia Braun, Julia Toby Braun Way, was the keeper. Two of her husbands who were keepers died, and I always wondered if she had anything hmm, to do no, with it. No, of course Because, like, you ask people, who's the ghost there? Is it the husbands <laughs> or is it her? And you get different accounts, but I think in most cases she she haunts the place being heartbroken over losing both of her husbands and her beloved lighthouse.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a combination of the, of the caretakers and the, and the keepers that have, are so dedicated to the place. But one of my other thoughts has always been about uh, you know, why lighthouses are, are haunted is uh, you've got that crew that's out there struggling to survive sometimes in freezing cold, churning waters, uh, desperately trying to reach shore, and, and they're following that light. They're following that light. And unfortunately, in so many of the cases, you know, the last instinct they had before being claimed by the seas was to, to follow that light. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst place to be in a shipwreck is right next to the shore. So they're always out there a little bit farther floundering and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to make it to that to that shore. You can't just pull the boat up. That's the worst place for that to be. W- it's all
1: rocky. Yeah. But you look at that, Chris, that, that image you just put in my head of go to the light.
0: Go to the light, yeah. I mean. That's what happens after death also. Yes. Or during I mean, that transition. Yeah,
1: I mean, so the whole the whole irony of it is there. And I think, you know, that uh, that is not an uncommon occurrence when you have those those folks who died and in their spirits find comfort yeah. In that light. And so that's why I think many of those spirits, you know, at the prime example, again, is Whitefish Point. When all of those folks who have passed because of those shipwrecks, their spirits are hanging on there around the grounds because they were drawn to that light as a place of safety.
0: Yeah, I, that's, I truly believe that. Um, and I know the true story of a the true story uh, of a guy on a wave runner uh, that was found washed up on the beach at Old Preskill Island uh, Lighthouse um, after a ferocious storm. This is just a few summers ago. And when the guy was asked how he found the shore, uh, he answered, I, fo- I followed the light. Now, that, that... light uh, doesn't work, hasn't been active since 1871. There's mm-hmm. no way of oil. There's no bulb. Sometimes they even cover that in a black tarp because...
1: They think there's a reflection.
0: They think there's a reflection. But yeah. yet, that light has been documented by the state police, the National Guard, and the Coast Guard over the years uh, for its, let's say, continued service. Um, but you have a, a, a new lighthouse just north of that, the New Presque Island Lighthouse. Mm-hmm which which is, is is a current marker for navigation so to have the old light go on it, it shouldn't be happening in fact that you know it,
1: it's dangerous it's very dangerous because ships that are traveling particularly in stormy weathers they they know how many lights there are on the shoreline if you throw an extra light in the mix it, doesn't it can throw off their navigation now it's interesting about old prescale um as you mentioned it was decommissioned and it was sold as private property the top of the tower was even taken down at one point uh, it's haunted by several people um one perhaps is is George Parrish, who he and his wife were caretakers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s when it was a museum. Uh, there's a couple other folks. Garrity's were the primary family to attend at all of the lights in that region. And I actually took an after-hours tour there a couple of years ago with members of the Garrity family, and they're convinced it's it's the patriarch Patrick Garrity in his spirit there. But I gave a presentation based on the book in September of 19. In Presquill, just um, before the marina, and that's where a lot of people can see the yes. light from the mm-hmm. marina as you look over. over. And um, we crammed a bunch of people; it must have had 80 people in the presentation. And I asked, "How many of you have actually seen the light go off?" Ninety percent of the hands went up. I said, "How many of you have seen it more than once?" Few came down, but most people had seen it repeatedly over the last 30 years. And so I drove up and down that road after dark a couple of times, hoping. I sat in the marina, looking, waiting.
0: I've done the same.
1: And it ha- it hasn't happened. I've only had one lighthouse where I've actually had an experience.
0: Well, you know, John Cassidy, who was a guest uh, recently on this, po- this podcast, um, he and I did an overnight with Bumps in the Night. We did an overnight investigation there. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, you know, nothing, nothing dramatic, super dramatic, but we did catch the sound of old hand crank ringing phones in the distance while we were down in the basement. Uh, we were picking this up on some of his high high um, tech equipment. yeah, um, and it just just being there at three in the in the morning, it, it's 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 eerie in the building and being able to have the access to the top floors and and walking around all by yourself. Now, there's also a certain Amount of peace in that building, I feel. Um, I, you know, there was it, it was a it was a place of sanctuary. You know, if you were able to make it from you know with a, during a storm, that that would have been the happiest place on earth. Um, now again, we go back to one of the gift shop workers. Uh, she refuses to use the lavatory in the building. It's flushed on her so many times that she was you know um, <laughs> in the process, uh, but she sees the handle actually depress. Move. So we're not talking about like a hydraulic pressure yeah. thing. And uh, so she says, so I use. A different facility. For th-
1: <laughs> now, that is that is a little scary. Now, that building, I believe the, the house itself has been rebuilt. Yeah, that's original. completely. It, the basement is original. I've been down there. We did that when we were there a couple of years ago, but they did rebuild to the original specifications because the original building was kind of crumbling down. it was but, crumbling down. Um, but that, and that's such a beautiful park over there, both of that them, area. that whole complex is just gorgeous.
0: And the e. Ari Fa- e. Olds family was part of that whole
1: um, oh, really? redevelopment I didn't know
0: that. out of Lansing. Yeah, he was one of the eight, I think, eight investors that originally tried to turn that into a, a resort uh, park. Yeah. Uh,
1: Aren't we glad that they didn't succeed yeah. in that, right? <laughs> uh,
0: d- d- any other stories that you th- uh, of Preskill Island?
1: Um, you know, Preskill, uh, as I mentioned, George and Lorraine Paris, or Parrish, I guess, who uh, served there in the 70s and George died in the early 90s it was actually after that that a lot of these occurrences started to happen mm-hmm. and I had a chance uh, multiple times to meet with uh, Lorraine I think she's going to be 92 this year and um, she told me many stories I mean she would be at the lighthouse at night sometimes and she had one night when it was a thunderstorm and she tried to leave and the doors wouldn't open and so she it was almost like she was locked in. I
0: know this story. Yeah. And
1: so she sat down and she waited out the storm. She said it was a rough one. There was a lot of close lightning strikes and the building would rattle at times. And when it finally passed, she went to leave and the door opened just fine. So she walks out to the parking lot where her car was. And right next to the driver's side was a burnt patch where lightning had struck. And had she been out there trying to leave, she could have been struck by lightning. And she is adamant to this day that george locked her in that night to protect her during that storm
0: we get so many of those stories seems like the terrace end, you get this protective uh, entity that's walking around the mm-hmm. building strolling around
1: you know i think once a lighthouse keeper always a lighthouse keeper even yes. if it's only a caretaker in in more modern times your your instinct is to protect and i think that that's a lot of what we see in many of these stories even today
0: Okay, so you 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 said you had one experience yourself. Let's 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 hear this one.
1: Well, this is good because it's not even in the book. It happened after I turned the manuscript in, which was really exciting. Uh, we had gone down to Port Huron to Fort Gratiot, which is Michigan's oldest light, dates back to the 1820s, and the um, there's a paranormal group that has a contract, and so every October they have you can pay to go and do an investigation, and they have all the gadgets, just like you watch on TV. And so you start out and you're divided into groups and you go through the different buildings. And so we still, we took photos, um, videos. We have weird flashlight activity in videos. Um, They had sound machines, so they were picking up sounds and voices and whatnot. But two major things stood out. So my boyfriend was with me. And of course, when you get to a light, the first thing you do is take a picture of it, right? (laughs) So I take my picture. He takes his picture. When we're reviewing them later, he took three pictures of the lighthouse. Everyone was upside down on his phone. But everything else before and after was Right. Okay, and he has a I I have an iPhone. He's a I don't know, whatever he's got. Galaxy Droid. He's a droid fan. He's something else. (laughs) And uh, so I said, well, you know, it's because you have that goofy phone. And he goes, no, my goofy (laughs) phone gets all the good pictures, which is actually true. He gets better paranormal pictures than I do. So that was the weird thing first. And then the other stuff happened. Well, we were in the tower last. And as I mentioned before, I don't climb the towers. And that's a tall one. So he went up to the top of the tower and he took a picture looking down the tower, and then when he got down, he's actually standing kind of behind, you know, there's the the pole that goes up the center where the spiral stairs are attached. Yep. And he's kind of behind that, and he's taking a picture that has the stairs to the right, and then you can see the curvature of the brick of the tower, and then there is the window, and then to the left is kind of the walkway to the main door. And when we started looking at pictures back in the hotel later on, and we blew it up on the computer, he, his picture, two things. One, the picture at the top of the tower and the picture at the bottom of the tower were 18 seconds apart on his phone time-stamped. I don't know anybody that can go downstairs in 18 seconds.
0: I can enter there's something like a what? ghost. <laughs> unless, <coming>. you, <laughs> unless you're falling. I think yeah. even
1: falling might take you longer than that because you'd bounce Yeah, right. No, you would. So there was the one weird thing. But in the photograph, in addition to the things that he picked up, the picture showed lights from the fog signal building outside. It showed the sidewalk, grass, and lights in the park area. So he was, it was almost like a double exposure, which you can't really get on a digital phone. Right. Inside and outside at the same time. But I was giving a presentation and I had his photo in there. And I was, the place I was presenting had a high def um, projection system. And as I brought that up, I saw more things. You could actually see his shoulder and his hand holding the phone. So it was almost like somebody took the picture on his phone from behind him. He's in his own picture. And getting the inside and the outside of the light at the same time. We've sent this to so many paranormal groups, and no one can explain. Or debunk it. Or debunk it. It's just, there's, I don't know how else... I'll send it to you, or I'll show it to yeah, you. I might like have it on my it. phone. It's so bizarre that we just can't explain it.
0: So your current book is Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses. You have two new projects coming out, right?
1: Uh, yes, I do, and I actually have to bring up some notes now um, because I can't remember the name of this new book that I'm working on. It's it's not the title I picked. It's the title the publishers picked. Uh, but it is Death at Le- and Lighthouses of the Great Lakes, A History of Misfortune and Murder. Mm-hmm so we're digging into the dark side these are great lakes lighthouse keepers who died not necessarily in the line of duty but they perhaps were murdered died under mysterious circumstances that have never been determined maybe committed suicide so all kinds of uh, dark things like that and then uh, the history press last year launched a new uh, children's series called spooky america and this is probably for third fourth grade readers and they take existing books, and they have a writer that brings them down to that age level. So they have taken Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses and turned it into a children's book, and that will be released at the end of May. Something
0: easier for me to grasp.
1: Probably. <laughs> you know, your, your little one can read it to you.
0: There you go. Yeah, he's he's Maybe a in. Maybe in German. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, where, where can we find your current book, and where will we will be able to find your new projects?
1: So um, I just signed a couple copies at McLean & Aiken. So, I know they have them locally. You can also go to mihauntedlighthouses.com. You can buy a book direct from me, and I'll autograph it. And the new book will be all the both both of the new books will be available there uh, the children's book in May, and then um, the murder book in March of next year.
0: The murder book's going to be into a kid's version, too.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. But that one has been exciting because I got outside of Michigan for that one. So, I was really excited to visit some places outside of Michigan.
0: Thank you for sharing all of this uh, haunted history with us, Diana. And uh, I'm your host, Christopher Struel. Please join us next time for more history and lore on Ghost of Northern Michigan's Past.